Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. This is part two of our interview, Religious Liberty During COVID-19, with Michael Vaca of the Christ Medicus Foundation. In part one, Michael spoke about how religious liberty rights have been violated during the COVID-19 pandemic and how the newly formed Healthcare Civil Rights Task Force is addressing these violations. In this podcast, he explains how the U.S. courts have responded to state-imposed restrictions on worship during COVID-19 and how we can balance religious liberty with public safety. He concludes by discussing the impact the incoming Biden administration will likely have on the work of the Christ Medicus Foundation and on the Catholic Church as a whole. Michael, welcome back. I'd like to begin part two of our interview by asking you this question. Why is access to spiritual care a human rights issue? So, you know, fundamentally, the the beginning of that question comes from understanding that religious freedom, that is to say the right to spiritual care, uh, as you as you wisely put it, it's a natural right. It's not just a civil right, but it's a natural right. And when we say it's a natural right, we mean it's a right of the human person as such. And the human person, uh, as we know, has intrinsic dignity, right? The person is, rights come from God. They don't come from the state uh, they come from the Lord. So, so the, so the question becomes, if this is a natural right and not merely a civil right, then nobody has the power to take it away, uh, which means it needs to be embodied in civil law. So if we look at the Second Vatican Council, Dignitatis Humanae, uh, the Declaration on Religious Freedom, that was part of the, one of this, one of the 16 documents of Vatican II, it talks about religious freedom expressly, and it says that the natural right to religious freedom must be embodied in civil law. So the teaching of the church is that religious freedom is a natural right, but it has to be incarnated, it has to be embodied in in, in, in the civil law. Uh, in the United States context, it, 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 that is through the First Amendment and through federal statutory law and through state law. Um, but that that natural right to religious freedom needs to be embodied in in positive law. Now we have a real problem in legal education in this country, Joe, and the problem is that uh, most people, most legal scholars, uh, both on the left and the right, are positivists. Yeah. And by positivism, I mean the doctrine that uh, if you you know, validly go through the appropriate process. Uh, you you have it enacted. You have it um, debated by the legislature. The legislator votes on it. They pass it. You know, either on the the state or the federal level, uh, the governor or the president, whoever it is, signs off on it. So the executive, you know, the the courts maybe confirm it, saying yes, this is a valid law. They apply it to specific cases. That that's a law. Um, and it doesn't matter, according to positivism, uh, what the content of that law is. It's just, did you follow this process for it to become a valid law? So, so Hitler's law to, uh, to kill the Jews, to kill the disabled, to kill Catholics uh, in, in the Third Reich, according to them, was a valid law. 
Now, according to Thomas Aquinas and the tradition of, of, of the church, an unjust law is no law at all. They don't say an unjust law, um, you know, an unjust law is a bad law. No, an unjust law is not a law at all. That, that the idea is that law itself is not just a positive thing, that all law is both natural and positive, right? So U.S. law, there are certain elements of U.S. law um, that are part of the natural law. Uh, the state laws that prohibit murder are a codification of natural moral law. Now, the specific penalties that are prescribed for murdering somebody are not specified by the natural moral law. So there's a discretion to say, you go to jail for 30 years, you go to jail for 35 years, you know, whatever the penalty for that is, is not specified by the natural moral law, but the, 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 the prohibition against murder is specified by the natural moral law. So, so United States law is, is, is natural and positive. It's interconnected. Mm -hmm. And, and fundamentally, what positivism does is it separates that out and it says all you need to have is positive law. And this is, you know, you can look at Justice Antonin Scalia, wonderful judge in many respects, but he goes to Rome and in his Rome address, he says what? He says, if the American people want abortion, they should have abortion. Well, with all due respect, Justice Scalia, no, because the rights of the minority, the rights of the unborn don't depend upon the majority. The founders of this country would call that the tyranny of the majority. The rights of the minority, the unborn, come from God. And whether the American people want abortion or not, they shouldn't be allowed to do it because it's a violation of the fundamental inherent right of the unborn child to life. So you, you have, like I say, both on the left and the right, you have positivism. It's a denial of the authentic nature of law, the authentic nature of the human person. Hmm. I want to take that now and, and let's let's talk about some of the specific court decisions that are going on as we speak today. So, Michael, how are the courts? And I'm specifically talking about the U.S. Supreme Court, but we could talk about lower courts as well. How are the courts addressing religious liberty challenges that are being raised during this coronavirus pandemic? So. In the beginning, there, I would say there's, there's, there's really, and this is speaking in generalities, but uh, I would say there's been, there's been two opposite tendencies. Okay. At the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, courts were very, very hesitant to, uh, to, to challenge, uh, to, to overturn uh, restrictive state laws, uh, and the idea is that. Uh, States have broad police powers to promote the common good, and uh, courts don't want to second-guess political determinations. So they almost de facto just deferred to the judgment of the state. So unfortunately, what that means is that uh, you know re restrictions on religious freedom uh, were very difficult, if not impossible, to overturn legally. Uh, because courts were just so reluctant to even open up that Pandora's box of second-guessing political judgments, and nobody knew how serious the pandemic was. The courts were erring on the side of caution. Um, so that that's one trajectory, and I think we've seen that uh, going back to March. We really see a lot of caution with respect to overturning state public health laws. The second trajectory is new. And it, it stems uh, from 
we can see this in the New York case that was recently decided by the Supreme Court. Um, is this the Archdiocese uh, of the Archdiocese of Brooklyn case? Yeah, and 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 you see a change. Of course, there was a change in the court, the composition of the court. Now uh, that Amy Comey Barrett has been placed on the court, uh, we now have a more conservative court than we previously did, uh, which is to say, a court that is more respectful of religious freedom. And so they voted five to four to overturn Governor Cuomo's uh, some of his restrictions placed on on religious freedom placed on freedom freedom uh freedom of religion and uh, and and his restrictions were were unjustified he was treating uh you know he was treating uh religious believers really in a way that was um not respectful of their white of their right uh their religious freedom their right to worship and um it was uh wonderful a wonderful sign of hope to see the supreme court say, no, you can't treat religious believers as a second-class right. Yes, we understand you have to preserve the the common good. You have to protect public health. But as Justice Alito said, there is no public health exception to the First Amendment. You can't just flag something as an emergency and then take away civil liberties. You know, there, there is no... And, and Justice um, Attorney General Barr came out with a statement saying there is no public health exception to the First Amendment. Uh, that people need to understand the nature of civil liberties. Civil liberties are to be respected regardless of uh, the risk that they entail. Uh, you know, everybody gets in their car and drives during rush hour, despite the fact that they're very likely to get in an accident. The American people would not accept it if the government said you can't drive during this time and this time uh, because you know we're worried about your health or the health of other people. They accept that there's a, there's a risk to living in a free society. Well, same thing with, you know, going out uh, during this pandemic. There's a certain risk. If you're comfortable taking that risk, then that's part of your civil liberty. And so um, the courts are understanding that, 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 you know, we need to protect people's civil liberties. We can't just make this pandemic an excuse for, for running roughshod over civil liberties. And so that's uh, because of Amy Comey Barrett, because of this, um, the courts are starting to move in a better direction with respect to the protection of religious freedom. Um, whether that will continue, I don't know. Um, the issue is that uh, because these are political judgments or prudential judgments, um, courts generally see their role as being um, only involving themselves when there's clear legal violations. And so, um, you know, if the, if a state can present some minimal, you know, prima facie case that um, this is justified for X, Y, Z reason, then uh, courts are, they're, they're very reluctant to, to, to overturn that. But under Amy Comey Barrett, under this new direction, um, I think there's a uh, certainly Justice Alito. I think has done a wonderful job of speaking, uh, even prophetically in this regard, saying um, we have to respect civil liberties, uh, and and this should this should be the case, um, you know, regardless of the pandemic. I want to ask you a question that may not be fair because I, I know you probably haven't studied the the Supreme Court decision, particularly in this Brooklyn case, in detail. But one of my colleagues and I were talking. Um, before recording this. And he asked a really interesting question. And he said, you know, was the court's uh, ruling in this case, was it based on an understanding that government, in this case, the state of New York, 
it can't, it, it doesn't have the power to impinge on the free exercise of religion. And he and my colleagues said that's kind of a negative way of understanding it. Or did the court focus more on recognizing that uh, religion and the, the free expression of religion is a, is a constitutional right um, and, and give it more of a positive take? Do, are you, can you, can you um, respond to that? Yeah. So that, that is a, that is a very, very, very good question. Um, I, my understanding of the um, kind of legal disposition of, of this specific case is that um, because of the nature of the case, um, you know, was relatively quick period of time that they needed to, it's a time sensitive thing. Um, they take a vote of the court and, you know, they give some, some reasons, but um, I don't think that the judgment is, 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 is developed as, you know, like a formal case where you have uh, a lot of litigants, you have a lot of discovery, you have a lot of, um, it's not as developed as some of the other, you know, jurisprudence that the Supreme Court has. So I don't know that uh, expressly that they focused a lot on, you know, the, the foundational basis for religious freedom. I think that's in, you know, it's there, it's either ex, ex, explicit or implicit in the ruling. Um, ultimately, uh, they're flip sides of the same coin. The reason why the state cannot restrict civil liberties, including religious freedom, however they want to, is because uh, our right to religious freedom is a natural moral right that predates the state and that the state has a duty to respect. Um, fundamentally, it's, it's, it's a question of the natural moral law and then that is codified in the First Amendment when it says there's a right to the free exercise of religion. But as I was mentioning, Joe, because of the establishment, because of the expansion of the Establishment Clause and the restriction of the Free Exercise Clause, uh, the Free Exercise Clause uh, doesn't mean what it used to mean. And so uh, that clause keeps getting narrowed, more and more narrow, more and more narrow, more and more narrow. And um, unfortunately, uh, because of the secularization and the positivism that we talked about earlier, uh, many people don't recognize the natural moral law. And so uh, in, in attempting to understand what the free exercise of religion means in the First Amendment, um, they're, they're basically, it's a very subjective balancing test. How important do I think public health is? How important do I think religious freedom is? Well, that's not the point. It's not a matter of how important you think it is. It's a matter of that religious freedom is a fundamental human right that you don't have the right to violate. But but that gets lost because people don't no longer believe in the natural moral law. It's positivism. It's just, well, right. it's my job as the judge to balance competing goods. And so if you have a judge that's particularly sensitive to public health, you know, like Justice Roberts is, is you know, I think taking this position. Um I, he basically is saying, I'm not going to second guess uh, the decisions of the state. I'm just not going to put myself in that situation. Um, and that is really problematic, I think, for uh, for a number of different reasons, but chiefly because uh, the, the free exercise clause isn't supposed to be, it's not, our, our right to practice our faith shouldn't depend upon the private opinions of justices. Uh, our right to practice our faith uh, needs to be respected and and not made the subject of a balancing act. And uh, you know that's fine if these justices believe that public health is extremely important and that 
you know, some of these restrictions are justified. That's their personal opinion, but it's not okay for them to, uh, to violate the spirit of the free exercise clause and really even the letter of the free exercise clause saying, you know, casinos have more protection than churches. Well, there is no, there is no protection of casinos in the, in, in, in the constitution, but there is protection for churches. So why why is our right to go to church subject to greater restriction than the right of people to gamble? And and the courts I think don't have a good answer for this. The ones that that you know are just whatever the state says goes. Uh, the other problem is it seem, it seems to go against the judicial function. You know, uh, Marbury v. Madison is famous for the legal doctrine that um, it is the job of the court. It is the job of the Supreme Court to determine emphatically what the law is. But what Marbury v. Madison did not say is that the law is whatever the court says it is. It didn't say that. It said it's the job of the court to determine what the law is. It did not say the law is whatever the court says it is. And 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 people, the American public, read it the latter way. They say the law is whatever the court says it is. The Supreme Court becomes the ruler. Well, no, the Supreme Court isn't the ruler. The Constitution is the ruler. The Supreme Court is supposed to serve the Constitution. It's supposed to serve – it's supposed to be an impartial um, uh, adjudicator of the Constitution, right? And and the law, it's it's – it's you know we have the rule of law in this country. It's not the rule of the Supreme Court. It's the rule of law. It's 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 the idea that the the Constitution, uh, in light of the Declaration of Independence, is uh, able to be interpreted uh, in a way in which it was originally intended, in a way that's consistent with the nature of the human person. And what happens when when subjectivism and pragmatism and positivism enter into legal jurisprudence, even at the Supreme Court, I would say especially at the Supreme Court, um, is that uh, our rights, our fundamental natural rights become uh, on the chopping block. And if a particular justice, because of their temperament, because of their private beliefs, because of whatever, doesn't uh, doesn't agree with the, the balance that we struck in our own personal life, we lose our freedom. And, and, and it should not be that way. That is an improper, I would say it's an abuse of the courts. Uh, it, it's judicial activism and, and, and judicial restraint, uh, is the, is, is a doctrine that we should comply with the rule of law, meaning that, uh, there is a free exercise of religion. The job of the, of the, of the, you know, um, our chief justice sometimes will say, you know, he makes it clear in his in his public pronouncements that uh, he thinks it's very important to have you know unity on the court, and he sees himself as kind of a unifying figure on the court. Uh, with all due respect to the chief justice, his job isn't to unify the court. His job is apply is to apply the constitution. And if a state is violating the free exercise of religion, his job is to enforce is is to is to say that is a violation of the free exercise clause. It's a violation of the natural moral law, and 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 it's not permissible. It's not justified in our constitutional form of government, even if it leads to dissent from other colleagues on the court. I'd like to go back to a question that I've been holding uh, from our last podcast, and. Wondering how would you respond, Michael, to people who would argue that closing churches or establishing no visitation policies in hospitals 
these actions are actually a good faith effort and sometimes even an, a, a necessity to protect people from COVID-19. How would you respond to them? Uh, so what I would say is that, oh, first of all, uh, you know, um, Lincoln had a, had a, had a wonderful, uh, Abraham Lincoln had a wonderful way of, of um, engaging in conversations with people. He would concede everything that he did not need to make his case. So um, I think, uh, and we should always do that, right? Our, our, our responsibility is to, to try to find common ground when we can. And so I would say that uh, the person is right, that uh, there can be reasonable restrictions, um, that there is such a thing as public health and that there, that is part of the, the, that is part of the common good is to ensure uh, a condition where, where people feel safe, where people are protected in terms of their physical health. Um, but that, that, uh, that, that interest in protecting people's public health, protecting their, their, their health and their safety, their physical lives cannot lead to the violation of civil rights cannot lead to the violation of what it means to be a human person. That um, that that needs to be counterbalanced by a respect for the human person, for the goods of the soul, for the nature of the human person, uh, for relationships, for access to the sacraments. That uh, we can't lose what it means to be a human person. In other words, that uh, we can recognize yes, there's a role for public health. Yes, there is a um, a duty uh, to to try to do what we can to protect people's physical lives, but not at any cost. Not the ends justifies the means. Not protecting people's physical lives, even if it means denying them spiritual care. Not protecting their physical lives, even if it means denying them the, the, the companionship of their loved ones in their last moments on this earth. Not denying them uh, fundamentally what it means to be a human person. I would say that... Um, that we're more than happy to comply with just laws or reasonable limitations, but that to, to reinterpret what it means to be a human person uh, is fundamentally unjust. And that by insisting upon uh, the sole supremacy of public health, that anything that is required to promote public health is justified, they are taking an ends justifies the means approach that is uh, a unethical, B inconsistent with the human person, and C harmful to many people. And we're starting to see the fruits of this policy uh, in the the increased suicides, uh, the increased spiritual oppression. We're starting to see um, mental health skyrocket. Uh, people, their their employers, even Catholic employers, have waiting lists of people that are waiting to see counselors. Uh, this is not healthy. This is not good. This is not a proportionate response. And so um, I will agree that uh, there is a role for public health and that uh, it is understandable to take certain reasonable precautions, but that adopting an ends justifies the means approach where anything that is required to promote public health uh, is not acceptable. It's a violation of what it means to be a human person. And I think it's based on a flawed anthropology of the human person. So, so keeping all of that in mind, how do we strike that balance? So, how do we how do we balance the the religious right, which I agree with you one hundred percent on, uh, to have access to spiritual care? How do we balance that with 
a person's right to have a safe environment. It, you know, bring that down to the to the to the ground level, to the practical level. How do you make that balance? Yeah. Well, I think you know the 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 default is is uh, people have a right to uh, spiritual care, and they have a right to access their loved ones. It's a fundamental, natural right that that people have as human persons. And so, um, what we need to do is to start with the fact that that is a right, and we can't take it away. And so, uh, given that limitation, we have a lot of creative people in our culture. We have a lot of engineers. We have a lot of uh, people who love solving problems, who are good at finding solutions. We have a lot of people that are very uh, uh, creative in terms of the solutions that they adopt. Um, the problem becomes, how do we do what we can to protect public health within the limits that we are not going to take away people's fundamental rights? Well, um, you know, have a, have a separate visitation room, uh, that's sanitized, um, you know, um, you know, okay, you can't visit with five people at the same time. You can only have one visitor at a time. Respectable. Uh, I choose to visit with my wife. Um, you know, you can't have, um, uh, you can't have, um, three clergy in at the same time. Uh, you can only have one person at one time administering the sacrament. Okay reasonable. Um, you have to wear a mask. You have to uh, wear protective gear. Um, uh, you can visit between this hour and this hour, um, you know, whatever. Um, you know, reasonable limitations. Uh, if there's certain, if somebody's doing like a, a surgery or something like that, you have to be out of a certain area. This is the visitation wing, um, you know, whatever is the case to really, um, but these kinds of draconian restrictions where they say you can't visit your loved ones you can't receive access to the sacraments you don't have the right to tell me that you don't have the right to tell me that i can't see my my my, my family members you don't have the right to tell me that i can't live my faith and quite frankly um it's contrary to the nature of the healthcare profession because the healthcare profession is supposed to heal people body mind and soul and and what they're doing is they're harming people their their the people lose their 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 willingness to live because their life becomes unbearable you can't see your loved ones you can't receive our lord it's like being in prison and, and it's worse than being in prison if you were in prison you could receive our lord you could have visitation you're treated worse right. than a prisoner in a hospital yeah. i mean that's that's that is a completely unacceptable and and um that should not happen you know you see this with 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 um Oh, my wife and I have a, have a friend who uh, was going to uh, have a baby, and uh, they opted for a home birth instead of a hospital birth because the concern was uh, she had to have a COVID test, and if they came back positive, they would take the baby away from her immediately. Jeez. So you can't see your own child, your own newborn child. You can't see them because you you because you you tested positive for COVID. Who you? Where do they get the right to separate her from her child? You know, so, so it, it is, it is an abuse. Um, you know, I don't want to, I think we're at the point where, and, and I say this with, with, with due respect and with love and charity is, uh, look, I believe in complying with just laws, but where we have in, in Michigan, where I'm from, um, you know, uh, this, this past Thanksgiving, uh, our governor had a law that said, no more than two families can gather in the same, no more than two households can gather in the same house to celebrate Thanksgiving. 
Okay. Now, now that is just an unjust law. Uh, the state doesn't have the right to dictate. Uh, you know, we in, in the Constitution, we have the right to assemble. Mm-hmm. If we have the right to assemble with complete strangers, but we don't have the right to assemble with the most important people in our life, with our loved ones, that that the state tells us, Michael, you can't get together. So, 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 you know what? I, I think in that case, when it comes to those fundamental violations of the nature of the human person, uh, civil do- disobedience is justified. I would say in that case. I don't think the person who got together with six households and celebrated Thanksgiving uh, and violated that law uh, is doing anything wrong. In fact, I think that they're they're bearing witness to the light of Christ and they're living their faith and they're saying, you know what? Um, I'm really sorry uh, that you know if anybody gets sick, I don't want anybody to get sick. And certainly if I'm sick, I'm going to stay home and not infect other people. But I'm not going to be afraid to gather with my friends and my love and and my family and and my loved ones uh, because somebody might get sick. I'm not going to to live an inhuman life. They want to isolate people, which is what, which by the way, Joe, is what totalitarian regimes do in history. You go back, you look at the USSR, you look at the Third Reich, you look at all oppressive regimes, uh, you look at look what they did in Venezuela under Hugo Chavez. This is, this is the strategy. They isolate people, and then they have tattletale outlines. Oh, this person did this. This was illegal. So you rat out your neighbors, and you create fear. You create paranoia. You separate people. See, there's there's global forces that don't want people to be together. They don't want us to be with our loved ones. They want to separate people. Uh, they want to be able to control people. And, and, and we have to fight against that. And we have to see that there's an agenda here and the agenda is not for the good of the human person. Uh, it's an agenda that is really about control. Uh, it's, it's a new world order where public health authorities, uh, you know, become the, the, become the the determinants of what you can do and what you can't do. You have to get this vaccine. You can't see your loved ones. We decide when you visit. We decide when you can access the sacraments. It's totalitarianism. You know, it's what Pope Benedict XVI called the tyranny of relativism. And he warned us that this was going to come. And we're seeing this. And I think since, since March, it's exploded. Um, and so I hope people are waking up to that reality that this is not uh, – these are not just laws in many cases. These are unjust restrictions on the dignity of what it means to be a person. I'd like to – as we move to the end of our, of our interview, I'd like to change gears a bit. And we have a – assumingly, we have a, a new presidential administration, which will be – coming into power in January, the Biden administration. And I'm wondering, Michael, how do you think the work of the Christ Medicus Foundation and CMF Curo as well will be impacted by the new administration? Yeah, it's a great question, Joe. It's a it's a very it's a very sobering question to to think about. We have had on the positive side by far the best um, administration in my lifetime when it comes to defending religious freedom, when it comes to protecting the dignity of the human person in the Trump administration. Uh, The Department of Health and Human Services run by Roger Severino, um, the conscience uh, regulations that they adopted, uh, which unfortunately were invalidated by the courts, um, uh, were, were phenomenal. 
they far surpassed anything that we could have ever hoped for. Uh, it has been uh, wonderful. They have preserved the Hyde Amendment, which protects federal funding from abortion and even expanded it. Um, they've taken away millions of dollars from the culture of death all over the world. Um, they have uh, advocated, you know, uh, President Trump was the first president to attend the March for Life. Um, there are so many things. I mean, I could literally go on for, you know, 15 pages of accomplishments just with respect to, um, you know, what they've done with respect to protecting life, protecting religious freedom. I mean, it's incredible uh, what this administration has done in four years. Um, now, uh, what we are facing is something that is going to be really the antithesis of, of what we've had the last four years. Um, in some sense, uh, it's it's going back to what we had under the Obama administration. It may even be worse than that because uh, you could make the argument that there's been a lot more secularization, a lot more hostility than there was uh, even you know back in 2008. Um, but now, I think what we're facing, you look at the people that are appointed to positions of authority, uh, you know Ezekiel Emanuel. Um, uh, this is the person that Joe Biden has appointed to head the coronavirus task force. He's the person who said that he personally doesn't want to live past 75. Uh, this is not a person who understands and respects the dignity of the person. Um, it's, it's not, you know, Biden is appointing these people that are um, the worst of the worst when it comes to protecting the dignity of the human person. Um, when you look at some of his other appointments, you have the same concern. Um, these are people that uh, don't have a good track record of respecting the dignity of the human person. Um, I, I'm going to be very frank and say that I think that the church is in for a lot of persecution. I think it's going to be very difficult for us um, to protect the rights of the church, the rights to evangelize. I think that we're going to be constant assault. And we see this. I mean, uh, the Biden administration has already said they're going after the little sisters of the poor. Mm -hmm. They're going to force them to pay for abortifacients uh, or be fined. Uh, that was averted because of the Trump administration. And, and they, you know, they've been to the Supreme Court three times now, and they're going to go after them again. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're not being coy about it. They're not saying, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll be diplomatic. No, they're just come right out and say it. We're going to go after them. Um, they've So th if they're doing that to the little sisters of the poor – they're going to do that to Catholic charities, you know, in, in Philadelphia, where you are, of course, they have the Fulton case where, you know, uh, an adoption agency is, is, is going, a faith-based adoption agency is, uh, you know, not even able to operate uh, because they don't want to violate their conscience and give children to same-sex couples, uh, which they would consider to be child abuse, uh, when I think it is. So, um, you know, it, it's really disturbing that, we've come to this juncture and, and justice Alito in his federalist society address warned us. He said, I fear that the time that this is a Supreme court justice. And he's saying, I fear that religious freedom is going to become a second class, right? And, and I think we got to take that very seriously. We have to pray. We have to do penance. We have to fast. We have to um, beg our Lord to have, to have compassion, to have mercy on our country. And we have to try to do what we can to, to, to preserve religious freedom, to shore it up as much as possible. Um, but uh, it's very concerning uh, the direction that this country is headed. I believe that the left that is ascendant in this country right now is going to persecute the church. And I believe that it's going to take tremendous courage.
it's going to take tremendous uh, faithfulness and it's going to take real sanctity uh, for the church to endure this trial. And so I think that this is a time of real persecution. I think the church is entering her passion, but I also believe that um, God is going to raise up great saints that are going to set the world on fire with the love of Christ. And that ultimately this is going to create a contrast. God, I believe is taking off the restraint on evil. He's going to allow evil to increase in the world. Um, but that's going to make the contrast with his goodness and his sacred heart that much clearer. And he's going to force the issue with people. He's going to force people to make a choice. He's going to say, are you for me? Or are you against me? Are you for the kingdom of God? Or are you for the kingdom of Satan? Are you for the light? Or are you for the darkness? Where is your heart? And and people are not going to be able to do this cultural Catholicism. I'm going to sit on the fence and la-di-da. No, you're going to have to make a choice. And you're going to either be with the Lord or against him. And I think that day is coming when um, it's going to be the, the contrast between the light and the darkness, between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan is getting clearer and clearer. Yeah. It's going to interesting times ahead. Absolutely. Michael, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? Well, Joe, I'm, I'm so uh, excited and thrilled at the opportunity and, and the generosity that that um, I, I'm so appreciative of the, the National Catholic Bioethics Center and the wonderful work that you all do and um, getting to meet you uh, as a staff ethicist with the NCBC um, just recently was, was a wonderful privilege. And I, I thank you so much for your kindness and generosity and giving me so much time uh, to speak to the listeners. It just means a lot. So really appreciative um, and, and, you know, no my, my best wishes to you and, and Joseph and, and um, uh, the whole NCBC family. Uh, you guys are doing tremendous work, um, you know, preserving religious freedom, educating people, helping to form consciences, so vital. Uh, the work that you guys are doing is absolutely critical. So I just want to commend you and thank you for that uh, important contribution that you're making to the church, to the body of Christ. Um, you know, I think uh, what I would like to say is this, is that. There are a lot of reasons, uh, you know, to be concerned. There are a lot of reasons to um, uh, really, there are a lot of reasons that people lose their peace. Uh, they focus on everything going on in the world. And and certainly, you know, we're citizens of heaven, but citizens of this earth. And we, we um, citizens of, of our country, um, and we... Um, you know, we do have to to take an active role in 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 understanding the things that are happening and and doing what we can uh, to protect religious freedom, to preserve human life. But we shouldn't be so hyper focused on the things going on in this world that we lose the big picture. And so, what I want to say to people is, you know, to pull back a little bit if you're finding that you're losing your peace, that the things in the world are just oppressive that you find that you know it's it's very difficult to um to cope with these things um to pull back and just enter into the heart of Christ and say um you know what I'm going to turn off the TV I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to turn off my my phone I'm going to I'm going to disconnect I'm going to take 3 or 4 hours and I'm just going to pray and I'm going to just uh you know read scripture and connect with the Lord and just have that intimacy with him because um, what we need to get through this time uh, 
is strength that only that can only be found in Christ. Uh, our hearts are going to get weary and beaten down and discouraged um, if we try to do it on our own. If we thrust ourselves into this and we try to um, do it in a very human way, we're going to get beat down and and you know ultimately. Um, the forces of darkness in the world are ascendant right now. So um, we're, 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 it's very imprudent of us to think that we're going to be able to fight that battle on our own. We can't, uh, we have to rely upon the strength of the Lord. So I think what I would like to say to people is to really have deeper humility, to really depend upon God for your strength, to draw close to him and, and not to just, engage so much with the world that you lose the big picture. Remember that you are beloved to Jesus Christ, that, that, that uh, you are here on mission uh, to witness to him that he is already won. As Father Frank Pavone says, we, we start from victory. We know who wins in the end, that the Lord of life has won over Satan and evil. And so we are going to play that out in history. And, um, you know, we'll lose some battles, but we're going to win the war. And uh, to not to take heart, to take heart in Christ. If you feel burdened, rest in him. If you need passion, ask him for it. But, but cling to him. Get your strength from Christ because he's the only one that can give you the strength to endure the trial that's ahead. Very well said. Michael, one last thing very quickly. I was wondering, uh, can you let us know how people can access the Healthcare Civil Rights Task Force that you chair and its recent statement, Defending the Fundamental Dignity and Healthcare Civil Rights of All? Yes. So the website for the Healthcare Civil Rights Task Force of the Christ Medicus Foundation is healthcarecivilrights.org. And once they go to this page, uh, the very first post is defending the fundamental dignity and healthcare civil rights of all. Uh, it was released November nineteenth, two thousand twenty, and and just so your listeners know too, um, the National Catholic Bioethics Center, the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, who's run by Bobby Schindler. Um, many of your listeners are familiar with the tragic story of what happened to Terry, and Bobby is such a saint, and in, in the work that he's doing is such a privilege to work with him. Um, the Healthcare Advocacy and Leadership Organization and the Life Legal Defense Foundation uh, are all in partnership with uh, the Christ Medicus Foundation in this. And so, um, you know, we're so excited to have the NCBC as part of this coalition. Um, we recognize that you guys have a, a teaching function, which is unique, unique in the church, that you've been given a commission to form consciences and that you have an experience and an expertise that the church and the society and our, and our culture really needs right now. And so uh, we're just so delighted to have you and your expertise and your faithfulness to our Lord as part of uh, part of this initiative and part of this task force. Well, let's hope uh, for many good fruits in the future. Michael Vaca, thank you for joining us on our bioethics on air podcast today. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been such a privilege and, and I hope to connect again soon. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics On Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. 
If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you have suggestions for future topics, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcasts, please go to our website, hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button, and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.